Hey, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Refuel here at the Oasis on Wednesday night. We're glad you're here. We're going to be spending time in worship in just a moment, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me, and we're going to pray in just a moment, but to sort of uh, give us a little bit of maybe extra motivation for worship tonight. You know, we're going to be talking about our tongue, our speech tonight, and uh, how powerful our words are. And uh, so one of the greatest things that we can do as Christians with our tongue and with our mouth is to praise the Lord. And one of the most inspiring, motivating passages of Scripture to get, I think, any of us ready to praise the Lord is this little passage out of Psalm 103. The whole psalm's great, but I just want to share the first five verses, and then I'll pray, and then Nicole's going to lead us in some great, uh, great time of worship tonight. David writes, Praise the Lord, O my soul, with all that is within me, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Do not forget all his kind deeds. He is the one who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases, who delivers your life from the pit, who crowns you with his loyal love and compassion, and who satisfies your life with good things so your youth is renewed like an eagle's. Wow, what a God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for being, Lord, more than we could ever describe or express or convey. Lord, we thank you that you are here with your people tonight in this place. You have waited for this appointment since Sunday. And God, we are just, we're thrilled to be here, to be with each other, but most importantly, to be with you as your children. And God, you are giving us an opportunity tonight to use the voices that you've blessed us with, the tongues that you've given us, the mouths that you have created for us to lift up praise to you, to exalt you, to elevate you, to put you in your rightful place, to remind us, God, of who you are and how faithful you are to us, Lord. And so we pray, God, that as we move into this time of worship, that like David, God, we will be ready and willing and prepared to praise you with everything that is within us. Lord, give us, even after a long, hot day, the energy. Renew our energy, God. Renew our enthusiasm, God, so that we can pour out our praise to you tonight. For, Lord, you are worthy of our praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 3 tonight. We're going to be looking at the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18:21 says, "Death and life are in the power of the tongue." Our speech can do so much good and can at the same time do so much harm and bring so much destruction. And James has a lot to say about our speech, our words, and the tongue. And let's be reminded again why that may be. Because he grew up with Jesus. And think about it. He never heard Jesus say an idle, worthless word. 
He probably recollected all the things that Jesus said and was reminded that everything that came out of Jesus' mouth, even in his home, was that which edified and built up others. In fact, we know that this was true of Jesus because later on there's a great story in the Gospel of John where early on in Jesus' ministry, the religious leaders of Israel send some temple guards to try to sort of retrieve Jesus and bring him to them, and they want to start sort of interrogating him. Now, this is early on. This isn't at the end. And the temple guards go to retrieve Jesus, and they come back without him, and the Pharisees and the scribes are going, well, where is he? And the temple guards' response to their leadership is, no one ever spoke like that man. No one ever spoke like Jesus. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John even starts out his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God used the word, word, to describe Jesus to us. That's how important words are. That Jesus himself is called the word of God. Why? Because words communicate, words convey, words express, words reveal one's heart and one's mind. You and I cannot know each other's hearts and minds apart from our words, expressing them to others. And so John is saying God wanted to express himself to us. And so here came Jesus stepping out of time into time as the word of God. Jesus revealed God like no other. He was the word of God. So James wants to talk to us about the power of words. And though James is going to look at a lot of the things connected with our tongue, our words, our speech in a negative manner, I want us to also realize that everything James says about how powerful the tongue can be to tear down and destroy and, and do terrible things with, the tongue can also be used to do great things like praise the Lord, like encourage one another, like comfort and strengthen each other with our words. So again, here goes James. And I believe, again, the reason why this meant so much to James and was so prevalent in his heart and mind is because the words that he heard from his own brother Jesus throughout his life made such an impression upon him. 
the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus didn't say. And the way he said it made such an impression upon James that when James starts talking to us about our faith and about how our faith needs to be expressed, how we need to make sure that our faith is expressed in works so that others can see our faith and discern our faith and our faith can be demonstrated, one way that that can happen is through our words. So the first thing we learn in chapter 3 of James verse 1 is that the tongue tests our teachers. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. Now, though he starts out specifically talking to those like myself who teach the word of God, or I even think to apply it, even someone in Nicole's position who is up here before God's people, who's leading us in worship, anyone who's up here and using our our voices, our, our tongues, our mouths in a spiritual leadership situation. He's certainly talking to us most, but this whole passage, he's talking to every Christian, every Christian. And the first thing he says is that there were so many in James's day that when, when they came into the church, they wanted to teach because that was sort of in a weird way, like the glamour position, you know, you're up front, you hold a lot of influence. You have a lot of sway over people. But James says, whoa, whoa, whoa. And remember, James was the pastor teacher at the church of Jerusalem. So James really knew what he was talking about here. And he says, look, I'm not saying that one maybe shouldn't desire to teach, but make sure you understand the gravity of what you're getting into and what you're stepping into before you do it. Because James is simply pointing out in verse 1, the greater the privilege, and it is a privilege to be a spiritual leader, it is a privilege to be able to do things like lead worship and teach the Word of God and to use our mouths in that way. James says, the greater the privilege that God gives you, the greater the responsibility. With authority from God... And certainly God gives us authority when he calls us to stand before his people and use our tongues, our mouths. He says, with, great, uh, with greater authority comes also greater accountability to God. See, I will be held more accountable than you because of my position. So James is saying, I'm not saying don't aspire to that, but make sure you understand before you step into that position that that carries a greater accountability and responsibility before the Lord. In fact, in 2 Timothy 4, he says to Timothy, I charge you before the Lord Jesus Christ, who will come and judge the dead and the living at his appearing. Preach the word, he says to Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season because he says there's coming a time where people will turn away their ears from hearing the truth and they will turn to fables and they, their ears will be itching to hear things that are new rather than the word of God. He says preach the word because we're held accountable. And so James says the tongue certainly tests our teachers. But in verse 2, he also says, the tongue measures our maturity. 
as Christians. Because he says we all stumble in many ways. Basically, we all, even as Christians, make mistakes. We all fall. We all fail. None of us are perfect. But he says if someone can get to a place where we stumble in a sense less in what we say, that person has become a perfect individual. Now, again, remember, in the New Testament, almost always the word perfect does not mean sinless. It means spiritually mature. It means one who's grown up, you see, one who's spiritually growing. In other words, he's saying one of the greatest evidences that we are spiritually growing and spiritually mature is that we're getting a handle on leading our mouths if you will, and not stumbling always over what we say or how we say it, saying things we shouldn't say or maybe even not saying things that we should. Because he says, notice, that the spiritually mature person is able to control the entire body as well. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but the word able is what is possible by God's power, not our own. You and I are not able to do anything apart from the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. That's where our ability as Christians comes. But what he is saying is this. He's making a connection. He's saying, if you and I can get to the point where we spiritually mature and grow to where we sin less and less with our mouth, then that same discipline, that same leadership over our body is literally translated to everything else. And, and if you and I can do that, that's the hardest thing, then we should be able to, to discipline other areas of our life as well because that's the hardest area to get control of, James says. That, that's the hardest area to discipline. That's the hardest area to restrain. So when you and I grow to a point and mature to a point spiritually where we can start to get control of this, he says, be encouraged by that. Because that same spiritual maturity and growth, that same ability and power from God that you are using to guard your tongue and guard your mouth and, and say the right thing in the right way at all times, or at least more consistently, that same ability then can be applied throughout your entire being. So, the tongue not only tests our teachers, the tongue measures our maturity. You want to know... I want to know how I'm doing spiritually. I can always go back to, how am I doing with this? <laughs> how am I doing with this? And can I just say, one of the best ways to get started every day to use this properly is to just get up every morning, and the first thing we do is praise the Lord. Because when you start out your day counting your blessings and praising the Lord and worshiping. If, if you start your tongue out that way, then at least you get started on the right foot. And hopefully that starting out that way then can carry 
you and your, your tongue and my tongue through the rest of the day. Well, speaking of that, notice verse 3 and 4. The tongue also determines our direction. James says if we put bits into the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their entire bodies. The word guide means to direct or to turn. He says, look, ships too, though they are so large, and obviously a horse is a magnificent creature, bit pretty tiny compared to the horse. Rudder on a ship, pretty tiny compared to the size of the ship. So what's he saying? He's saying the proportion between what guides and directs something can be really out of proportion, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have a lot of influence. And that's certainly true of the tongue. Small member of our body, but one that actually guides and directs our entire being. He says, though they are so large, verse 4, and driven by harsh winds, they are steered or directed or turned by a tiny rudder, wherever the pilot's inclination directs. So too, the tongue is a small part of the body yet it has great pretensions, all right? The tongue determines our direction. Remember that, and he's using some great illustrations here. Bit in the horse's mouth, rudder on a ship, gives direction, turns, steers. Now, why is that important to remember? Because you and I, by the things that we say, by the things that we receive from others, can literally direct our lives. So the first thing I want to remind all of us and encourage us is this. The number one voice then, if, if what we hear and what we say out loud is literally giving primary direction to our life, then the first voice that we should be listening for and hearing in our life is the voice of God. Let him speak into our lives and primarily give direction. That leads me to this next point. When there are those in our life that are speaking into our life and it does not line up with God, it is negative speech. We need to learn to not let that cut any kind of a groove into our mind and into our heart and literally let it go in and let it go out and only let those things that God wants us to absorb and direct our life to get in there and sink in and as James said a couple weeks ago, be planted. Let the things that are not healthy that are abusive, the things that we should not be taking in go through us and let the things that God wants to plant and root deeply and cut that groove into our life, let those stick. Now, with that said, then that leads to this. That means also you and I have to watch what we say out loud or even in, in silence to ourselves. Why? Because what we say gives direction to our life. 
It guides us. And that's how powerful the words are. And that also then means one more thing. That's why we need to be very cautious and careful about what we say to others. Why? Because as Christians, as those who may be giving advice or counseling others or whatever, or trying to encourage them, what we say to them could direct them down the wrong path rather than the right path. Going back again, full circle, that's why James says to teachers, you realize as a teacher, you have a lot of influence in people's lives. What you say can hold a lot of sway and carry a lot of weight, so you better make sure that you're saying the right thing to them. Why? Because our tongue determines our direction. Let me give you a personal and yet sort of tragic and sad example out of my own life that I know about. How other Christians can derail someone by what they say. I had a man in my life, well, he's still in my life, not with Jesus yet. He was actually my best man at my wedding. He was a man that was what we would call a layperson in the church. He had never went to Bible college or seminary or anything like that formally, but he was a wonderful minister. And he worked in the church faithfully. And he felt the call of God upon his life to go into full-time ministry and become a pastor at our home church so that he would have joined me and the senior pastor on staff. As he was wrestling with the decision, because he had a great job at a company, made really, you know, good money and all of that, and obviously he would have to quit that and all of that. It was, it was a big life decision. And so in the meantime, he goes to this, this Christian conference. And he's traveling there with a group of Christians. And he begins thinking that they're safe <laughs> to share with them what's sort of going on in his life and how the Lord is leading. And every last one of them basically discouraged him. Said, oh, you know, you don't, you've never been to Bible college or seminary and you're this isn't for you, and you're giving up this wonderful job and all this. I can tell you that I truly believed, and, and the senior pastor did too, this man was truly called of God. This man should have been in the ministry all these years. But after he got back from that conference, and after hearing all these fellow Christians be really negative about what he felt the Lord was doing in his life, he decided to not do it and to stay. And I go back, and I, I even tried to, you know, say, don't listen to them. You know, listen to God and, and listen to those of us that truly know you and know your heart. And that, that kind of stuff, that's not the end-all, be-all. The end-all, be-all is, is God calling you. Not whether you've had this experience or that education or whatever, but that just, he couldn't get over what they had said to him. And it totally changed the direction 
of his life by what they said. That's why James is saying we need to realize the power that our speech has in people's lives. How our own words and other people's words literally can determine our direction and our destiny in this life. How many people have said to others, oh, you couldn't do that or you wouldn't be successful at that or whatever, and they ignored it and they became... And then there were others that, no, they listened and they never did go after their dreams or go after what they felt was being stirred up in them because of the negative comments around. Then James says, beginning in verse 5, the tongue also ignites our iniquity. He says, the tongue might be a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. It talks a big talk. <laughs> the word pretension means to be haughty, arrogant, egotistical. He says, think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. And he says, the tongue is a fire. It transforms all it touches. Like a fire, it changes the landscape. It changes the landscape. It creates an environment. It leaves things in its path, good or bad. That's why it's so important that when we come together as God's people, that we come together first and foremost to, to pray and to worship God and to sort of set the environment here and say, this is a place of worship. This is where we will use our speech and our tongues and our mouths for praise and to proclaim the gospel and, and to exalt Jesus Christ and, and to encourage each other and, and refresh each other and to, to share our love with each other rather than to tear down, we build up. But all the tongue, he says it represents the world of wrongdoing. In other words, it represents the reality of our sinfulness, maybe more than anything else. And if you go back to Romans chapter 3, where Paul talks about all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and he begins to list all the sort of characteristics of sinfulness, he spends a lot of time on the tongue. Their mouth is like an asp, he says. Over and over again, he talks about that. And so does James. Notice he goes on to say it pollutes or defiles the entire body. Nothing in our being is not contaminated by what we say or what others say to us if we let it stick, and it shouldn't. And he says it even sets fire to the course of human existence. In other words, once it's ignited, it begins to operate in a very destructive way. It's, it's almost like once you start, you can't stop it for a while, and it just starts to spew out stuff that just compounds the situation and exasperates the situation and leads to a lot of ugly, painful, hurtful things. And then he says this, it also can be set on fire by hell, literally ignited and inflamed by the devil himself. 
See, James is saying it's possible even for a follower of Jesus Christ to allow themselves to be used as an instrument of Satan in other people's lives. And I'll give you a biblical example that we all know. Peter. Remember that time when Peter tried to talk Jesus out of going to the cross and Jesus turned to him and said, Get behind me, who? Satan. Jesus says, Peter, you're being influenced by Satan right now in what's coming out of your mouth. You're not being influenced by God. That's coming from the pit of hell. And that's exactly what James says too. So the tongue not only, again, tests our teachers, measures our maturity, determines our direction, and ignites our iniquity. Notice verse 7, it reveals our rebellion. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and sea creature is subdued or tamed or brought under control and has been tamed, subdued, or brought under control by human beings. But no human being can subdue the tongue. Now, let me stop there, though, because this is really important. No human being can tame the tongue, but God can. Remember what Jesus said, with men, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And that's why James is writing this, because if it wasn't possible to change and become spiritually mature and grow in the way we use our mouth, then this passage, he wouldn't have even talked about it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the filling of the Holy Spirit and through allowing the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us to take control over our mouth, our tongue can be tamed. And we can grow in that area just like we can grow in every other area of our spiritual Life. And when we grow in that area, James encourages us, if you're growing there, you can grow everywhere. He says it is a restless evil, verse 8, unsettled, unstable, full of deadly, destructive poison. One final thing James says in this passage, the tongue compromises our confession. Because he says, with it, we bless the Lord, just as we've done tonight. We praise the Lord, but then he says, we'll turn right around and curse people made in God's image. And he's basically concluding his thoughts by noting the inconsistency of our speech. And he goes on in verse 10 to say, look, we got to cut this out as children of God. He said, this is not becoming, this is not suitable, this is not fitting for God's children to be that inconsistent where we're using our tongue to praise the Lord one minute and then we're turning right around and cursing human beings made in the image of God the very next minute. He says, no, 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 no. And then in verse 11 and 12, he basically is saying by using these illustrations that whatever comes out of our mouth unfailingly reveals what is on the inside because it all goes back to a source. He says, a spring does not pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, opening source, does it? No. 
Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a vine produce figs? No, neither then can a saltwater spring produce fresh water. It all goes back to the source. And James has already basically said there's only two sources. As he's going to even say next week about wisdom, there's only two sources of wisdom. It's either coming from above, from God, or it's coming from beneath. And he says the same thing is true with our tongue. And what we say is either primarily can be traced back to God or can be traced back to, as he says, set on fire by hell. And he says for a Christian, we've got to be more consistent. Again, we're going to stumble. We're not going to go through the rest of our life and not say something we shouldn't or should have said something and not or said it. That's not going to happen. But James is talking about growing and making progress and gaining more and more control over it as we learn to depend upon the Holy Spirit who lives within us. And James is simply saying, if what is coming out of our mouth is not good, then it's not really this that's the issue, it's this that's the issue. It's a hard issue. I, I've got to let God change my heart because if my heart is where it should be and it's aligned with God, then that will be the spring or the source from which my words flow out. Many of you have probably seen this before, but I wanted to share it with you in closing tonight, especially if you haven't, because I've used it over the years to sort of help me get control over the things that I say. You've heard the phrase, we should think before we speak. So, Use the word think, and each letter of that word will help you when you associate these questions with each letter in the word think. First, T, is it true? Before I say it, is it true? H, is it helpful? Is it helpful? I, is it inspiring? Is it inspiring? N, is it necessary? And K, is it kind? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Pause before you speak and ask yourself a few of those questions. I think in pausing and in praising, we can get a good start on getting control and sending our speech in the right direction. But remember, the bottom line is, James says, no human being can subdue or tame the tongue. Don't get discouraged trying really hard in your own power and strength to control this thing, because guess what? You and I never will. It is only by the power of God. That's how we're able 
by a power greater than us, by a power outside of ourselves that actually lives within us through the presence of the Holy Spirit, that we have the ability to be able to control and get a rain on our tongue. I love what the psalmist David says when he ends one of his psalms was, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my God and my Redeemer. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for your word, God. We thank you that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only. God, words are so important. Without them, we would never know you. And without the ability to speak or to convey our hearts and thoughts in some way to others, we could never let others or they could never let us know what's on their minds and in their hearts. So, God, we thank you for the ability to use words and to speak and to articulate our thoughts and what's in our minds and what's in our hearts. But, God, help us to pause and also realize the great power that you have given each of us by giving us this ability, that God, with it, we literally can change the direction of our life or someone else's life by the words that we say, or maybe the things that we withhold that we do not say that we should. And so, God, I pray tonight that we would accept this great instrument, this great tool that you've given us, but that we would never use this tool, this, this instrument, without making sure that it is under control and that we are using it under your power rather than trying to wield it ourselves. And that, God, if we do use it wrongly in some way, that, God, we would simply own up to it and say, I should have never said that. I'm sorry I hurt you and caused you pain by what I said. Because all of us know we've been on the other end of that. And we know how words can cut deeply and how they can hurt and how they can be painful and how they can put scars on us for the rest of our life. So God, I pray that we will wake up every morning and begin by praising you and that we will seek to ask you for help and helping us to look for ways, God, to use our tongues and our speech in a positive way to build up especially our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, to edify them, to help them, to encourage them, to refresh them, to comfort them. And God, not to tear down or to destroy. God, I 
thank you that as a church, we are committing ourselves to being a, a group of worshipers. And I pray, God, that the more we worship you, the less we will use our tongues to do what it shouldn't do. And God, that we will just continue to grow as a church and grow as individuals and see ourselves becoming more and more spiritually mature as we gain more and more control over our speech and our words. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for worship. God, use these tools to cut deeply into our being so that our life is about words of life and so that our life is about worship. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, real quick, don't forget that uh, little Lincoln is home now, and we could really help out Elliot and Megan by taking a meal over to them. And so there's some cards out there on the information table if you'd like more information about how to help them out. Hope you'll join us next Wednesday, whether by live stream or here in person. And God bless. We'll see you next week.